You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 130. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. You've reached another Local Maximum. Welcome to the show. I am now firmly moved into Manhattan, so for the next few months at least, I will get a front row seat into either the rebound or collapse of the city. One or the other is going to happen. Um, I've got a great discussion to play for you today. This is the second part of the discussion that I had with Aaron a, a couple weeks ago. And I think the bulk of the discussion is about political activism in science. Is it, It's becoming more and more politicized. And is it even possible or desirable to be an apolitical scientist, um, you know, Uh, truth seeker in this environment, or do you need to either go actively with the established powers or against them? Because if you sort of stay on the sidelines, you sort of automatically fall in in one or the other. Uh, That binary decision is tough, and Aaron and I did a pretty good job of talking around the intricacies there. And then we finish up with... um, uh, another example of science, of uh, you know, science or technology that can be used for good or can be used for kind of deception. And one is the generative adversarial networks, those fake faces that we saw back in episode fifty six, I think it was. So, uh, without further ado, I'm just going to play it. Uh, and here is episode one thirty discussion with Aaron. We've talked a lot about the state of science on this show in the past, and there were two points that I, I've made. Uh, first of all, it, we've made the point of the, um, the the crisis in science, the the crisis of reproducibility uh, that has occurred. And does, all, does this tie into the discussion of p hacking? Yes, and it ties into the discussion of p hacking too. Like people just keep on running experiments again and again until they get what they want. Um, and then, yeah, and then also in terms of you know Bayesian inference as uh, one codification of the scientific method. And I'm actually trying to put out a PDF on that that uh, will be available on the website. Um, So, uh, yeah, I I, want to talk about this. We're pretty good at talking about these articles, so that's why I wanted to bring this one up. Uh, And also, Lawrence Krauss, uh, I don't know if that name rings a bell for you. Uh, It certainly does for me. I read his book. Uh, He was a physicist at Yale. I don't think he was at Yale when I was there, but I may have seen him lecture once because... When I first saw him on YouTube, he seemed so familiar, but he's a theoretical physicist. Um, and he wrote a book that I read once called The Unif- Universe from Nothing. Like, how could a universe come from nothing? Uh, it, um, and, uh, and, and he argues that the laws of physics says that it has to, uh, nothing has to produce something. I don't know, very deep, <laughs> but uh, he goes into the laws of physics. He's a very outspoken atheist. Not just like, oh, you know, I happen to be an atheist and, and I do science. No, he's like, um, I'm trying to have a good way of describing what kind of atheist he is. Uh, I, 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 what kind of picture am I, am I point painting here? He's like a real, like, militant atheist. <laughs> I, don't know if, <laughs> I, I don't know if militant is the right word, but I'm trying to find the right word here. Uh, but anyway... Outspoken. He, he does not believe that a miracle occurred. Uh, if if by miracle you mean something that can't be explained by science, sure, sure. But he's he also uh, you know uh, thinks there's something wrong with 
anyone who disagrees who 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 does science. But anyway, um, I, I, the, 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 the reason why I bring this up is I, I feel like this article is a big deal because if someone like Lawrence Krauss, who's like an outspoken liberal atheist, is saying that the sciences are getting political, it's kind of hard to ignore. And um, I'm kind of wondering, are there still people out there who think that uh, the politicization of the sciences aren't a problem? Like, is this something everyone's on board with? Or are there people who still think, oh, no, sciences are... Uh, are fine. Everything, everything with science is going exactly how it should be with science. I don't know who has that opinion right now. But anyway, let me start with his, uh, with his introduction, and then we can go from there, all right? Uh, okay. So he starts, in the 1980s, when I was a young professor of physics and astronomy at Yale, deconstructionism was in vogue in the English department. We, in science departments, would scoff at the lack of objective intellectual standards in the humanities, epitomized by a movement that argued against the existence of objective truth itself. Um, you kind of have to have objective truth in order to do science, I think. Um, anyway, that was my aside. Let me continue. Arguing that all such claims, uh, sorry, um, epitomized by a movement that argued against the existence of objective truth itself, arguing that all such claims to knowledge were tainted by ideological biases due to race, sex, or economic dominance. It could never happen in the hard sciences, except perhaps under dictatorship, such as the Nazi condemnation of Jewish science or the Stalinist campaign against genetics led by Trofim Lysenko, in which literally thousands of mainstream geneticists were dismissed in the effort to suppress any opposition to the prevailing political view of the state. Or so we thought. As he says, we thought it can't happen here. Then he gives a list of examples of things like this happening today where uh, people are afraid to ask certain questions or um, they're kind of being told by non-scientists to do science in a certain way. Or, you know, the entire... It's not just there are certain questions that they that you're not supposed to ask, like you have to be asking a question that's furthering a, a, an activist goal. If you're kind of asking a question that's sort of uh, disinterested, um, you know, pursuit of knowledge, then it, it, it appears to be non-legitimate. So, so it's, it's perhaps an extension of the distinction between, between being, uh, not being racist and being anti-racist, that they're, they're saying you, 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 you need to be pursuing, uh, you need to be providing certain benefits, not just uh, the the absence of uh, of of a negative impact. Right, right. Um, yeah. So if you're studying uh, wormholes, is the example I give. Uh, if you're studying wormholes, what impact does that have on um, you know on the social revolution? Nothing. Then you know we're going to say that it's illegitimate to study wormholes. It almost seems like <laughs> that's the way we're going. Um, okay, so, uh, oh, the next bullet point's from you, Aaron. So why don't you yeah, take it so, away? So I, I, I think another way of looking at this is that science is dealing with with a, a quote-unquote inconvenient truth. Uh, uh, apologies to Al Gore for repurposing his uh, his phraseology there. But uh, that, that anything that's not politically expedient is is discouraged from being published or, or even researched. Um and and I think there's a, a, a major synergy between between this kind of at, at the high level, uh, but also the, the the trend in science uh, that uh, 
kind of ties in with what we said before about p-hacking that you you have a kind of preordained result that uh whether whether you're going to achieve that through something like p-hacking or by just uh the the inherent design of your experiment that we we all know what we're going to find here and this is just a matter of of quote unquote proving it out economists um, do that all the time yeah so uh that that if if and so if do you're allowing, corporate executives if, if you're allowing external forces like this to to shape your approach to your research and how your experiments are run uh then you know it's 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 obviously going to have an impact on the results um, and, and this isn't just because of, uh, there's also like, um, you know, a personal bias, but, yeah. but also, uh, you're, you're going to be impacted by, uh, what others of influence are seeking. So whether that's your advisors, when you're a grad student, uh, or your, you know, your, your department head or the organization that's providing your funding and your grants, uh, the journal that you want to be published in, uh, or, or pressure from your colleagues, uh, you know, people who's. Who, who you know you want to be keep being invited to the right uh, cocktail parties and so you don't want to be doing research into the wrong types of things yeah and, i feel like scientists who care about cocktail it. parties <laughs> are no scientists at all uh no no many of them do um look i i i, I the, the same issue that concerns me here is, is the same as the issues that concern me about free speech like if you're not if a certain hypothesis is not allowed, well, that's an evil hypothesis. If you're not allowed to look at that scientifically, how are we ever going to know that that hypothesis is actually incorrect? Uh, we wouldn't. It's just sort of taken on faith. And I feel like that just puts society in a very shaky foundation where you're just saying, uh, you know, we're not looking into something because it's we're not allowed to look into it. And uh, then you don't get the benefit of disproving it or... If an inconvenient truth happens to be an inconvenient truth, then you don't have the benefit of okay, how do we rationally deal with this? Yeah, well, it's it's in some ways similar to the concern that you know in in an ideal world, uh, good news is the wrong phrase for it, but uh, factual news uh, should should win out against fake news. Uh, but there's there's a problem of uh, of the volume uh, being being distributed and that it's kind of an uphill battle there. Uh, and and if you're disincentivizing those who are are pursuing the actual facts of the matter, uh, then it makes it even harder to to win that battle of of uh, of ideals uh, or, or of facts even. Yeah. OK, so I actually want to go through some of the references that um uh, yeah, that was, that was a pretty dense quote. So there's there's some stuff to unpack. There. Yeah. So first of all, Trofim Lysenko, I never heard of this guy in my life. So I looked into him and it's very interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting example of science in the Soviet Union. Uh, and, and I'll get to the, the, the Nazi example, too, in a bit. But um, he was promoted to what agriculture secretary or something like that. Um, and. Basically, he was promoting the idea. Uh, you called it anti-Mendelian. Is that what it is? Uh, anti-Mendelian. Yeah. So basically, the way I understand it, tell me if I'm wrong, is it was the idea that uh, genes, could, when you pass along uh, genes you know, to, to the next generation uh, genetics, it can be affected by the life experiences that you've had. So if you learn something in life or a plant had something happen to it in life, it could pass... Um, that learning on to its offspring, 
Uh, obviously, humans can can pass on like like teachings, but in terms of our genetics, I think that's pretty much well set. I can't um, you know learn something in life and then have my genetics uh, you know ha have um, have it genetically passed on to my children. I'll have to teach it to them directly. Uh, but uh, he believed that genetics was partially learned. Is that correct? Something like yeah, that? yeah. So so a, a, an element of his his theory was uh, the inheritance of acquired traits, which to, to make an example that sounds kind of silly would be uh, if, if you have uh, lab mice uh, and some of the mice you cut off their tails, uh, you, you would then expect that their children would be tailless. Right. Um, or maybe have which, smaller tails or maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and uh, I, I would assume that there was some subtlety to it so that uh, it, it was not so easily shown to be ridiculous as, yeah, there as always that particular is. example. Uh, but but that that was the direction it was heading in, and and uh, in some ways uh, his his story is is one of uh, why there's a danger in in uh, in the the adherence to to technocrats that he was brought in as as uh, you know one of the the greatest scientists in terms of of uh, botany and genetics uh, in in the Soviet Union, and so they put him in charge of running their agriculture department. Uh, and he recommended a lot of things that uh, had serious negative impacts, not just on holding back science in the Soviet Union for, you know, decades. Um, it's this isn't just a case of saying, ooh, you know, Russians and Soviets bad, capitalists and Americans good. Uh, he 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 held back their science, and as a result of his policies, uh, led to millions of deaths. And that's that's not hyperbole. That's not exaggeration. Yeah. Um, the the. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll let you bring in uh, the 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 concrete example there, but uh, re real lives were lost because of this. Well, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I've been to Ukraine, so I I mean, I they they have um, <laughs> a lot of bad things happened in the Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you go to all, every museum, and they'll have examples from the Holodomor, they'll have examples from the Holocaust, they'll have examples from the two world wars, um, and so it, it's. Um, it's but but yeah the uh, the starvation at the hands of the Soviet Union uh, whether it was purposeful it it seems like um, in in many ways it was but it was also the, led by this faulty science and by the way um, that question of uh, whether traits genetic traits can be um, you know can be acquired over your lifetime perfectly legitimate scientific question for studying. The problem is they weren't studying whether that was true or not. They were saying, we're just taking this as true. And any scientist that's asking the question as to whether it's false is going to be, what, uh, demoted, fired, or even worse. I mean, this was Stalin's time. It, it, it was literally made illegal to uh, to Jeez. hold opinions or, or publish results that uh, that went against his, his theories uh, to the point that people were sent to the camps as a result, which is... It, it makes me think that it, it's not just, it's not, it, it makes me question the motivation. Like, it wasn't just like this guy believed so strongly in this and Stalin believed so strongly in this. It's like, no, Stalin had an agenda here, um, you, you know? Yeah. And, well, I, and it's it's mind-boggling that they took took Ukraine, which was literally the breadbasket of, of the Soviet Union. You know, it, 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 it produced far in excess of its needs and fed a, a, a large portion of a continent. Uh, yeah. To within a decade 
having massive famines and requiring the uh, the import of of uh, of international aid in the form of grain. It's it, it it wasn't a natural disaster that hit them. They did this to themselves, and that's that's horrifying on so many levels. Right. Um, okay. A- another example of Nazi Ger- is Nazi Germany kind of um, dismissing certain scientific discoveries and and scientists themselves and science departments is Jewish science or Jewish mathematics. I know there's a quote where, you know, um, I think it was uh, David Hilbert, who is a German mathematician, when a Nazi official came to his city and said, I should I should double check this quote. But I think he said, hey, isn't it great that we no longer have Jewish mathematics? And he's like, we don't have any mathematics anymore in this city. <laughs> uh, but he was he, the, he was one of the uh, greatest mathematicians of the 19th, 20th centuries. And um, basically, he was really old by the time the late 30s came along. Um, but, um, you know, it was like, OK, science is the, the idea is like science is based on your uh you know religion ethnic background race or even though science you're supposed to be a little more objective on that you're supposed to say hey i have a bunch of hypotheses that's uh, that's that's base rule i have a bunch of hypotheses i'm going to gather data and i'm going to try to draw a conclusion conclusions um and it shouldn't matter what my you know race or background or ethnicity or, or, or religion or, or any of that, uh, or my, my age, whatever. I could go, yeah, well, I and, could list all the transmuted, uh, all the characteristics, you know, and um, uh, clearly there's a group of people who think that, uh, and, and specifically a group of people in the totalitarian mindset or in the collectivist mindset um, who think that that is, uh, uh, that's not the case. This this is maybe a little bit more ra- of a rationalist talking point than than uh, one of science, although sure. they they tend to walk hand in hand. Uh, but if you're not asking the uncomfortable questions, then you're not really doing worthwhile research. Um, that that and a lot of the sensitivity here has come around questions of well, uh, you know, doing research that proves or, or that suggests and asks questions about differences between. Uh, people of certain genetic backgrounds, which can then potentially be mapped onto things about race. Uh, uh, anything that has to do with differential IQs is uh, becoming very taboo. Uh, and and yeah, the, this raises some uncomfortable questions. It 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 runs up against borderlines with you know things that that could potentially be used for making certain uh, arguments in the area of of perhaps eugenics. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's that we shouldn't be asking the questions. It just means that we need to be very rigorous in uh, the veracity of the answers that we're seeing and that we're, we're actually doing the work here as opposed to just hand waving and saying, ah, it should be this. Let's not look too deep into that. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I wanted to add one more example from, cause I read a book. Um, I think, Oh, love and math. I have that on my, it's by uh, Ed, Ed Frankel, who's a mathematician, uh, in the Soviet Union, then later uh, came to the United States. Uh, he made the point that mathematics in the Soviet Union was a subject, it was the only subject that was very difficult for them to politicize. Like, how do you politicize algebraic geometry? Or how, how does that make a someone in power uncomfortable? You know? So um, I don't know. I, I don't know what to take away from that other than 
then they start targeting the actual people who are involved in the math and science and being like, oh, well, uh, this person is of this background, so we can uh, dismiss what they're saying, even if they have a mathematical proof. Yeah, I, I, I haven't done a lot of research on, on the impact in, of, of, in that particular field in the Soviet Union, but I know that uh, kind of the, the sister example to that would be uh, in, in China during uh, the, the, their revolution that there were Are you uh, talking about huge cultural? purges of, yeah, the cultural, cultural revolution. revolution, the huge purges of academia, uh, and much of it involved labeling certain branches of science, even those in, in pure theoretical research as being, you know, deviant and Western. And I, I could, I could totally see them coming along and saying something to the effect of, of, uh, you know, nonlinear mathematics is deviant and, and, and a, a, a capitalist, you know, aberration and anyone doing research in that uh, needs to be reeducated. Um, that you know, we we only do you know we we only do linear mathematics here, or we we only deal with uh, with Euclidean geometry. It's the, that, the, that they that, were certainly drawing all the time throughout history. They 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 had no problem drawing kind of arbitrary lines there and and saying not only you shouldn't uh, draw outside of these lines, but those who do are are going to be uh, threatened with violence uh, if they don't recant their views. Yeah. Well, look, I mean. Um, someone's got to decide who gets the funding and someone got, has to decide what questions are worth looking into and maybe an individual could start looking into funding but, or look into a question on their own time but at some point, you know, you, you, you got to make a living. So, like, um, th that raises the question, you know, who should decide? Um, and I guess I would argue you, you have to just have a variety of different sources uh, yeah. Well, and, and versus and the, the now, where it's like you no, know, every everyone who is dispersing the funding now has to think the same way. So that's going to be horrible for scientific inquiry. Yeah, there's there's a huge discussion to be had on, uh, particularly on the side of basic research and government funding, and and is that model working? Has it ever worked? Uh, and and how we got to where we are. Uh, but there's also the the flip side of that is is private funded research uh, tends to come with with a uh, you know a, a, a taint of the funders uh, in sure not necessarily in the same way that you know there there, there have been uh, quote unquote uh, research organizations set up for example like the group set up by the tobacco lobby to to publish studies showing that cigarettes are are healthy and and you know and will will cure all your ails and whatnot and stuff that that yeah this, that that was maybe not politicization but certainly science with an agenda um but uh even even uh organizations or individuals funding science who may may not have a clear bias like that uh they're viewed as highly suspect uh, when their funding is coming from somewhere other than, you know, like the NIH or the Department of Energy or hmm. a, a somewhat unimpeachable uh, group, uh, which those groups are not above uh, playing politics to a certain example. Oh, I mean, they have limited all. funds and they have yeah. to allocate them to to meet some sort of mission. And that mission does not escape political influence. No, so. not at all. Um, yeah. So, I mean, one question that I have is, is it le legitimate for a scientist to not want to be involved in political activism at all? I mean, now, and this is being said in, um, in companies across the country, um, maybe even across the world, I'm, a lot of people have told me they've experienced with this. Now they're expected to be activists, even though they just want to be doing their job 
and doing their job well and getting paid for it. But we're kind of entering the mindset of all is political. Uh, and so that is um, that is that is that the road that we're going down permanently? Uh, I mean, hard to answer, uh, but it certainly seems that we've we've taken a, a, a detour down that path to some extent. Um, and, and, and this opens a, a, a path to a, a huge, very active discussion that that has you know, been ongoing for decades, uh, but I think is, is starting to flare up again. Uh, about what the role of those working in, in science and technology and engineering is uh, when it comes to ethical questions about the work that they're doing and how it's used. Uh, so, so the the classic example. I, I agree would be, with that. I think that people should be thinking about that. Yeah, and and I, I don't know that the answer is to say, well, all all STEM students must take an ethics course in college and then problem solve. Uh, <laughs> no, ma- no, no, maybe that's that's a good step in the right direction. Uh, just to make sure that we're, we're thinking about these things, but it's, it's an ongoing process and, and dilemma. Um, no, I but yeah, think the, if, the classic, if the, if the scientists and engineers working on something never question the, uh, ethics of it, then it won't be questioned. I mean, yeah, there, well. you know, <laughs> there's no, uh, I mean, I guess there could be some other lines of defense, but that's going to be the main one. Yeah. Well, so so there's there's the the classic example of nuclear physics uh, and the unlocking of the powers of the atom and leading to the Manhattan Project, um, and and sure. in in a, a similar vein, not much later than that, uh, there's there's uh, you know rocket research. Um, there's there's a, a famous uh, famous parody song about uh, Werner von Braun, uh, who uh, fam- he he uh, quite notoriously worked uh, with the Nazis developing the V two rocket. Uh, and then went on to work for NASA, developing the Saturn V rocket that took uh, the first first humans to the moon. Uh, but uh, the the lyric was uh, something along the lines of, uh, uh, I, "I just make the rockets go up. I don't care where they come down." Uh, for for Werner von Braun, because hmm. uh, his his rockets were used uh, in the bombing uh, for for V two rocket attacks on uh, on Great Britain, particularly the city of London. Yeah, yeah it does make you think. Yeah, well, and, and and there's there's an arms race aspect to this, both both literally in the case of arms, but also in in the case of non-militarized technology. That I mean, once <laughs> once it's been proven that you can do something, uh, then even if you decide, well, I don't want to do it this way, you know, I think this this would be that the the costs are greater than the benefits. You can't just walk away at that point because you've op- the the door has been opened and somebody else can take that technology down that dangerous path. Um, so that brings us to the, the, the current day example, uh, facial recognition, yeah. that, that the cat is out of the bag there. Um, and a number of companies have decided to either get out of that market space or to, to put kind of a freeze on their work or maybe not release the most advanced version of their technology because they're afraid it could be misused. Uh, but, but this is an area that has huge potential impacts on, uh, on our society, on, on policing, on, uh, on privacy, uh, across the board and and it's out there you can't you can't un uh you can't unring that bell so to speak right right i, I just want to add I, I obviously um i don't support werner von braun <laughs> creating nazi technology <laughs> but what i what, what i meant to say was um you know sometimes you develop something and you say hey this could be good used for good this could be used for bad i mean when the first um early human invented fire you know they could be like, 
this is really going to mess things up. Not, you know, discovered fire. <laughs> um, but I mean, no, no civilization would have existed without that. So, um, Sometimes you still go ahead with it, even if there are positives and negatives. But obviously, if you're being hired by uh, by a (laughs) totalitarian government, you might want to rethink what you're doing, or especially the Nazi government. Um, But yeah, yeah, I mean, all these facial recognition is a very good example. There's there's a very narrow window with these technologies or or these these scientific concepts where maybe maybe if you know Enrico Fermi and some of his research partners had gotten together in the late 30s you know along with I don't know Heisenberg and some of the people and they'd sat down and said I'm really uncomfortable with with what we could be unlocking here I think we need to you know kind of make a, a secret pact to stop doing all this research and never talk of it again yeah. and maybe when you have half a dozen people in the room who are capable of doing that you can you could pull that kind of a, a conspiracy off, uh, but even at the best, that's unlikely to stop you know things. It, it could it could delay it for a decade or two, um, but but it's very difficult to prevent you know if if something is eventually going to be known. Yeah, sometimes uh, you're in an arms race. It's hard race. to stop it from becoming known. Sometimes you're in an arms race with a, a competing power, and you you want your side to be ahead, and. Um, People are going to yeah. decide and, to do that, and and, and you know, but, and there, but there are definitely the things, you, still things you can do uh, when you're in that situation. There are still things that you can do to, um, you know, push the push the industry or I guess uh, the, the the scientific field in in a more ethical direction, um, even as an individual, even if you can't move the whole thing. Um, yeah. So this 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 gets to kind of the opposite of of what we were talking about before. Is is it possible to be apolitical when working in the sciences? Hmm. Um, which, right. which, if if that is your desire, I think that's completely legitimate. That right. you know, if, if you just want to go work on your theory, that should be an option. So, like, but, so let's say uh, I'm studying wormholes again. Theoretical yeah. physics, we don't know if they exist. I'm just wor- working with equations, maybe uh, looking at some signals from space and trying to make sense of them. Um, why do I then now need to be a political activist? If someone asks, like, what are you doing to combat... Uh, you know, the uh, ancient hierarchies that we're trying to get rid of these days. Uh, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? I have I have funding to do this. Um, but they might be like, no, this doesn't uh, this doesn't belong. Does, does, does this whole new mindset, does it impede my ability to study wormholes in any meaningful way? Or I think a lot of people are going to say, look, um, you know, the administration is blabbering on and on about I got to read this book and donate to this and go to this event, but whatever, I'll just do my job and keep my mouth shut and I can still do my job. Uh, uh, well, I, there, there, there was an argument made and uh, it's questionable. Uh, and I, I, I can't say I'm good winning the conversation because we already talked about the Nazis, but uh, Werner von Braun would have made pretty much that argument that, yeah, he was in the Nazi party, but that's because he had a fairly high ranking, you know, scientific research position. Yes. And he okay. Had well, to be. But hold on. This and, is, and, I'll, and I'll, he was, he was doing whatever he had to, to keep working on his rockets because his dream was to go to Mars. Okay. And, and so he was willing to, you know, play along with whatever the, the organization, the administration, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the faculty required of him. Uh, so that he could keep doing his work in his lab, and and that went some pretty dark places. Uh, maybe not overnight, but over you know over the course of a decade. Right. I mean, now some of the things that they're asking people to do are just silly. Like, okay, uh, and also, if 
like what what he was doing was allowing that government to produce weapons. He was giving weapon technology to the Nazis. Where if I'm studying something theoretical, and I'm like, yeah, I'm here in America. All this crazy stuff's going on, and and like, okay, they asked me to give them my pronouns. I don't really understand this, but whatever. I'll give them my pronouns, and I'll um, ask them, and you know. I'll, I'll, I'll still study my theoretical thing. It doesn't give uh, uh, an evil government any benefit. What's wrong with that? <laughs> well, <laughs> Was what I, I just I, said coherent? I'm trying to make it up on the fly. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a, a counterpoint to it yeah. without going completely off the deep end. Okay. Uh, the, the, the easy response is, yeah, that's all well and good until they find out a way to weaponize wormholes and that they can use it to, to you know, to get rid of people who think wrongly by dumping them into another universe, but but that's that's a lot of sci- sci-fi what ifs. Uh, yeah, I I, th- I think you have a valid point there. Uh, the 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 other side of that coin, though, is that one of the challenges science has had, uh, particularly in the last decade, two decades, is uh, how they relate to policy. Yeah. Uh, in that uh, science communication and science policy is is something that's very important, uh, but that science is not necessarily good at. Uh, and as we've discussed before, science reporting is egregiously bad. And so if scientists are going to stay in their, not to use the pejorative term, but in their ivory tower and do their research and not be so concerned with how it's used and how it's how the public perceives it and, and consumes it, uh, then somebody who invariably gets everything wrong in their reporting on it is going to be informing the politicians and, and the policymakers how to act on that information. Uh, and we're going to get dangerous outcomes as a result. Yeah, I, I think the answer is um, yes. Uh, well, I don't know if the idea of being an apolitical scientist is going to be accepted as good in our society going forward, but I think there's certainly a space for it. But I think you do have to be on alert about how your science is presented and how it's used and what the ethical implications are. Because maybe right now, yeah, ex- exactly, maybe right now there's there's no benefit to wormhole, but if if something comes up, you should you'll probably be the first person to know if you're working on wormholes. <laughs> and then so just keep considering what's what's happening there. And I yeah, think, well, again, and, that's and, that's why, uh, you know, uh, Soviet mathematics, uh, you know, mathematics in the Soviet Union, well, at least the higher level abstract mathematics, obviously the stuff that kids learn in school is going to be like, you know, uh, <laughs> three. If, evil if Johnny apples. has six apples and Bobby has two, <laughs> how how many? No, they they both have zero apples now, and the state has eight. <laughs> I, I'm sure it was better than that, but uh, yeah, no, but but when it gets so abstract that even the the um, you know the politicians can't grasp what's going on, then maybe you do have a little bit more freedom to um, to pursue yeah, your well, field. And 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 the 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 danger there is that if the politicians can't understand what you're doing, then uh, why are they funding it? Yeah, I <laughs> See, mean, you got to have a good story there. Yeah, um, there's 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 certainly something to be aspired to in in the the scientist or or the inventor or or you know whoever who is who is above politics. They they stay out of the fray. Uh, but is that is that really a realistic position? I I think we've we've tried to 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 draft a, a, a case with this, this uh, theoretical wormhole uh, researcher that, that, that seems to fit in there, but uh, whether that's something that can, can be uh, 
be held true or not remains to be seen. All right. So is the scientific method itself coming under, under question? Or to put it another way, is Bayesian, am I going to be uh, hearing, uh, uh, reading an article uh, a few months or a few years hence, like, is Bayesian inference racist or something like that? Um, I think that well, it I'd will say it be. it depends on your priors. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think, no, I, I, yeah, I'm willing to have a discussion about this, I, I don't know. I don't think Bayesian inference is, is racist or biased in and of itself. I don't think the scientific bi- method is biased in and of itself. And so if someone starts talking about that, I think we have to move the discussion of, no, it's, it's, it's on how do we choose the, uh, what questions to ask. And, you know, um, we need maybe a diversity of priors and, and methodologies. And also the, um, there's the imagination part of inference where you're trying to gather up all the hypotheses. Maybe you can, um, maybe you can introduce bias that way. But yeah, once I, I hear we're, somebody we're... saying that the scientific method itself is problematic, uh, that's when I know that their ideological framework is well off the deep end. Yeah, and I, I think we're in the danger of running into a, a, an issue with, with semantics perhaps here a little bit. Um, that that I'm I'm certainly willing to concede that you can have uh, results from scientific inquiry or results from Bayesian inference which which are themselves racist or biased. Um, but but that's not a factor of the method. Um, wh- whether or not it was a method uh, developed slash discovered by old dead white men, uh, it's. Yeah, it it's a, a method. It's a it's a matter of garbage in, garbage out, and and so we've seen that. Well, for example, with a lot of the facial recognition stuff, um, we've we've heard talks about yeah, facial recognition is is biased or it's racist, uh, and that's because uh, a, a lot of the algorithms we've we've uh, seen covered have had uh, particularly poor results with uh, people of color as compared to uh, Caucasians, uh, but that's not a matter of the method and the approach being flawed necessarily as much as it is uh, of the way that the particular tool was constructed. Uh, it's, it's, it's a matter of we weren't asking all either the right questions or all of the right questions that we'd stop short of, of, you know, kind of completing the full spectrum there. Uh, and, and so you can use the tool to improve that. You, it's, we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater here and say, we got some bad results using the scientific method. It's because of the scientific method. Get rid of it. Yeah. All right. Let me uh, continue reading from this article. As ideological encroachment corrupts scientific institutions, one might wonder why more scientists aren't defending the hard sciences from this intrusion. The answer is that many academics are afraid and for good reason. They are hesitant to disagree with scientific leadership groups, and they see what has happened to scientists who do. They see how researchers lose funding if they can't justify how their research programs will explicitly combat claimed systemic racism or sexism, a requirement for scientific proposals now being applied by granting agencies. That's crazy. Right. So yeah, he's I mean, basically I, saying that, yes, you have to have an activist agenda in order to do science. He mentioned a paper, 10 simple rules for building an anti-racist lab. Um, and that's exactly what that's exactly what that says. So that that seems to be his position on what's happening in the sciences right now. I don't know. I'm not in academia, but, um, I, you know, I have a, I have a problem with this is, no, you have to be combating this. Pro- Even if that's, you know, combating systemic racism and sexism is important. Every 
single uh, point of inquiry has to touch on that now? I, I, I think we shouldn't be so surprised that we're seeing this. We're just seeing the, uh, the, the focus shift that uh, I, I could have very easily seen something similar to this and, and uh, maybe it was to some extent happen on the uh, environmentalism slash uh, you know, global warming front uh, that uh, even if you're doing research in wormholes, uh, your research proposal has to have a you know, climate sustainability section in it for what, what are you doing as part of this effort that is going to help, uh, you know, help, help preserve the, the, the environment of the planet and, and improve, improve uh, the, the environment as it stands. And even if that has little or no direct relevance to the research you're doing, mm. it's got to be part of your proposal because as part of our institution that has this as a guiding principle, uh, it needs to play into that. Man, um, so scientific we, institutions are shifted focus. so much more messed up than I expected. <laughs> um, I'm glad I'm not the, a part of it, I guess. Po- Politics is everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, from from your local Rotary Club to uh, you know the the Royal Academy of Sciences. Okay, so let me there is no escape. Let, let me finish with his quote at the end. Um, Whenever science has been corrupted by falling prey to ideology, scientific progress suffers. This was the case in Nazi Germany, the Soviet Union, and in the U.S. in the 19th century when racist views dominated biology. Um, I'm thinking eugenics here. And during the McCarthy era, when prominent scientists like Robert Oppenheimer were ostracized for their political views. To stem the slide, scientific leaders, scientific societies, and senior academic administrators must publicly stand up not only for free speech and science, but for quality, independent of political doctrine and divorced from the demands of political factions. So, um, yeah, that's what he's saying, and I, I have to agree with him. I don't, he seems to think that uh, the leadership have to just go ahead and do this. I don't, the leadership seems to be swayed by outside forces no matter what happens. So I don't know. Maybe this just has to run its course. Um, all of these movements that he um, um, that he talked about, whether it's you know the 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 science of racism in Nazi Germany or or dismissing you know Jewish scientists or the the science in the Soviet Union or eugenics or you know the McCarthyist, all of that is in the dustbin of history. So, does this particular moment also end up in the dustbin of history, or does it? lead us to a brave new world. I think that is what the story that uh, we will get to personally witness in our life in our lifetime. So stay tuned for your entire life because yeah, that's what we're going to get the answer to. Bringing bringing to uh, actualization every day the ancient Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. Yeah. You know, I don't I know it's supposed to be a curse, but there's something interesting about living in interesting times by definition. <laughs> well, I don't want, I don't know if I want to live in boring. Well, anyway, we could go into a whole philosophical discussion about that. All right. Let's talk about let's let's finish up with something a little bit. Yeah, this is not exactly lighter, but it's kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> you found something about AI in the news and we talked about uh, uh, GANs, those um uh, generated adversarial networks that created face, fake faces. Uh, you found it's uh, it's finally being used for the propagandistic purposes that uh, uh, that we <laughs> yeah. speculated for. Very much in the vein of uh, anything that can be abused uh, will. Yeah. Uh, 
so so we talked on a previous episode, uh, episode fifty six, I guess, uh, about not not just Gans, but specifically about um, this person does not exist, uh, which which is a website you can go to where uh, they they continuously generate or or at least continuously serve up uh, faces that are the result of a, a, a what is it, a generative adversarial network, uh, and and. I don't know if they've been getting better and better or if they've always been this good, but but when we were checking it pre-show today, there were some pretty good ones on there, and then there were some that they 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 were they were pretty good, but something just didn't seem quite right. Yeah, like I can't exactly I can't exactly pinpoint it, and maybe there is a person who looks like that, but I'm like, there's something weird about there's just something that that seems a little off that makes me. Uh, it, it's that uncanny valley idea, right? When something yeah. is so close to right, but not exactly. And it's almost like, uh, I, I I described it this way. It was like a picture of what could be like a good looking or attractive person, but for some reason they're not attractive. They're, 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 they're like <laughs> unattractive, but you can't really figure out why. It's so weird. Yeah, well, that that gets into a whole whole nother conversation of of yeah. you know what what uh, what defines beauty and attractiveness, and it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I thought imperfections some... were were a big part of that, but uh, yeah, well, maybe it, some of it, these imperfections are just out of line. It, it, it turns out we're not we're not quite at the point where we can just put a formula into a computer that that spits no. that out. But uh, so they they. They've uncovered uh, that a number of, of what they refer to as, as conservative news outlets uh, have been publishing articles from from journalists uh, who do not exist. Um, and, okay. and some of those some of those journalists and not just a pseudonym. Yeah. So 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 uh, d- difficult to, to prove definitively, but but the, these are being passed off by. Uh, as as ident- as journalist identities for people who who are not in fact real people slash journalists. Um, so so presumably somebody's writing this unless they've got a really good AI AI algorithm that's writing the articles. But but these articles have been submitted uh, by by quote unquote journalists um, who have somewhat of a, a you know a, 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 an internet paper trail. Uh, but it turns out uh, it goes dead after a little while and there's not a real person behind it. And for some of those, they were using, you know, cl- the classic approach of using stock photos or stealing somebody's photos off of Facebook and, and you know, slightly modifying them and flipping them. Right. Uh, but some of them were using uh, facial imagery uh, from uh, the generative adversarial networks. Yeah, um, so this guy's Raphael Badini. That's the person who doesn't exist. They even had a LinkedIn uh, network and right. Usually the spammers would just take pictures from somebody else's profile that that fits the that that seems to fit the uh, seems to fit the persona. But no, now they're just making up people outright. Yeah, and 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 this was done to try and push articles that had uh, some sort of a bias. It's it's being speculated that it was either a uh, uh, an intelligence organization or perhaps some some advocacy group based out of the Middle East somewhere, but nobody's, you know, claimed direct responsibility. Uh, but but they, they basically created these, uh, what you might refer to as sock puppets, uh, built up a portfolio of, of actual published articles under them, uh, and then started using these these fake people to, to push their agenda-driven uh, articles, which were getting published in, right. in legitimate uh, news vehicles. So, well, I think, to, I, I think to circle back to our previous discussion, um, 
yeah, maybe it makes sense when you develop a new technology to ask, you know, what are the different ways this could be used? Again, I'm not saying that these general advers- these um, <laughs> these uh, generative adversarial networks shouldn't have been developed. I happen to think that that was a a, a, a good um, use of someone's time to figure out this technology. But yeah, uh, it can be used for nefarious or iffy purposes. Yeah, well, and and uh, to, to to touch on that arms race topic we talked about a little bit in that context. Uh, now now that there's this uh, publicly I mean, shared I, article talking about yeah. how they identified you know the the flaws in this this approach, uh, you know GANs are going to get better. Uh, they're going to be able to maybe identify some of the things that gave them away last time, and and it's going to be even slicker next time. So. I mean, the whole idea of a GAN is a um is an arms race in and of learning. itself, yeah. right? No, it's it's two sides oh, of the yeah, same in, coin. In, internally, right? Yeah, yeah. it's uh, one one side that generates the face, and the other side that tries to pick out the real face from the fake face. So it it it's it literally is progress through arms race, which does show us how arms race can ultimately can sometimes be good for humanity as well, or for scientific progress. <laughs> Although could be destructive at times, depends on what the arms race is about. Yeah, so I I, I saw that uh, hat tip to the folks over at uh, at the War College podcast where I heard this, um, uh, and I guess the the Daily Beast is where the uh, the original investigative reporting was being done. Um, but but interesting since it it's loops back to something we've talked about before, uh, and I, I always like seeing stuff in the news about AI that's not just you know talking about Skynet or uh, or the singularity. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I think we're going to wrap it up. It's been a late night. Thanks for joining me tonight, Aaron. It's always fun. All right. And uh, yeah, we should should come back in August. And oh, yeah, I'll have you. uh, We'll talk about a special topic uh, coming up soon in a couple weeks uh, where you could talk to me about a mathematical topic. Uh, But yeah, a pointless topic, you might say. Yes, a pointless topic, exactly. (laughs) But I'm sitting here, I need to turn my AC back on. And I think we all need to get some sleep. So uh, uh, we'll call it a day. Okay, now now we just got to find some fake guests to get on the show. And uh, maybe we can have an adversarial generated podcast. Sounds sounds good. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power.